Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining. I appreciate you listening, giving your time. As I drive out this morning, I've just got this phrase on my mind that I don't believe I've heard before. I I was listening to a teacher yesterday while I was working, um, continuing the, the theme of just all this Old Testament uh, pattern and information that I would say in my own life and in the church at large has just been neglected, um, and not entirely, not entirely neglected, but even in the place that, in the way that it's been brought to us, I would say is very surface um, and very simple and somewhat casually addressed. When really it's it's all directly related to the command of Yahweh God, which is, of course, you shall have no other gods before me, above me. And so as I think about that, and what I'm thinking of this morning as I'm just praying, driving to work, is like, this teacher yesterday, he just said a phrase that, or a term, I guess we could say, that I don't believe I've heard before, that that I found myself really using to examine my life this morning, um, which I pray you do as well. I hope that, I hope that that's our pattern as ones who are endeavoring to become literally more Christ-like each day and add something and lay down whatever it demands of us in order to lay hold of it for that exchange reality. Um, But what this guy was saying was he called it um, hybrid worship. And basically, you know, a, a hybrid car is a car that, that has fuel options. It has power options. You know, in the line of work that I do, I'm in and out of cars all day. On occasion, there's a hybrid car. Now, a hybrid car, in case you don't know, has a gas engine fueled just traditionally like any gas-fueled engine would, except it also has a battery capability. It has a reserve, if you will, another option that at certain speeds, or you can manually choose it the way I understand, to run according to the battery power and and therefore, of course, conserve fuel. So it has two forms of power. It's a hybrid engine. And although this guy yesterday wasn't alluding to that reality, I'm just saying that to kind of make sure everybody knows what in the world I'm talking about. I'm not talking about something science fiction. <laughs> but the, maybe we could even say the duality of our worship. You know, like, and as I've been continuing to study the patterns of the Israelites and the kings the kings of Judah, the the lineage of 
just what we are told in scriptures of men who long, long, long ago went before us, establishing and, and trying to perpetuate the people, the literal people, the nation of God on this earth. And the pattern is, is inescapable. I mean, the pattern of the people of God is hybrid worship, which is, you know, we're, we're going to have Yahweh, capital E, Elohim, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and we're going to have little gods, little E, Elohim, little lords in our life whether it plays out in, in the natural looking like an Asherah pole, um, any kind of, you know, we, there's references to figures of wood made with hands. Um, I do fully believe, especially more so today than I did, than I have at any point of my life, believe in the, in the plurality of gods, um, deities, um, I'm not going to get into that. I'm trying to form some other um, more thorough explanations of that matter. But just the duality of our worship um, is nothing new. I mean, it's, it's not a new problem on the earth. I mean, it's not like when America became affluent and successful and blessed, in quotes, by God and we worship our possessions and as the scriptures say in the foretelling of what's to come the God of our bellies or indulgence although those are true and real it's not a new idea of man having issue with the worship of the one true God. The single, totality, preeminent, none beside you reality of the, exalt, the exalted to the utmost deity that is Yahweh. And so I'm just thinking about that this morning, about things in my own life and in and so as, as is often the point here, I just want to challenge you, wherever you are and whatever you do, to just kind of ask yourself, well, is there hybrid worship in my life? And I mean, can we not go deeper than just Sunday morning sermons of like <laughs> talking about football or Man, I don't know. I don't even want to go into all that stuff that I've heard my whole life. You know, are you are you putting your golf game ahead of church and in ahead of God? Oh my gosh. I mean, seriously, y'all. Can we not move further than that? I mean, let's just go all the way. Let's hit the gas and go all the way into the unseen realities of spiritual forces of darkness that are the powers of the air that the scripture tells us plainly do in fact exist and desire to walk 
in dominion over man. Like, what about that? What about that? But, you know, herein lies the problem. We don't even have the ability... to turn off the television or to not eat the fifth plate of food at the buffet line. Right? Because we're so immature, we can't we don't even ever get to the principalities and powers issue because we're so captivated and fascinated and have shelves of gods that are by far lesser, and of course, fruit and outplays of the greater, but nonetheless, how in the world would we ever get to the, to the real issue, which is principalities and powers and the rulers of the air in the unseen places that the scripture, again, clearly tells us is the issue that fuels mankind and is behind every natural, fleshly, carnal endeavor using the will of man to execute and perpetuate their dominion. So can we look a little bit deeper this morning about, I'm not talking about, I'm not asking you to ask yourself, are you, are you demon-possessed this morning, brother? No, we're not talking about that. Let's not make it all, this isn't a movie. I'm talking about the influence upon our lives. What influences our decisions? Like, is there a plurality? Is there a hybridness of our worship, of our adoration, of our attention? Is it, I mean, we could name a million things, which is always the case, right? It could be this, it could be that, it could be this, 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 this. And because we can't name everything that it could be, and even then you'd have ideas of your own, (laughs) not applicable to my life and mine not according to yours. And so let's just, for the sake of time, generalize it and just say, what areas in me am I not allowing the eternal Yahweh God to sit enthroned upon and over and therefore be the God of all gods the exalted one the preeminent one like is everything else in my life really under the subjection of his government and rule and authority in my life because this is something that I don't know if I've brought this up on here. I talk about it a lot, and I believe it really needs clarified because people seem to miss this connection, I would say. Because I think it's been misunderstood that because God is, in fact, seated upon every highest heaven, He is. He is ruler of everything. He is the absolute authority over everything. The earth is His footstool. Everything on the earth is under his hand. Every breath that we take is because he's a giver of good gifts and he desires none should perish. 
He holds everything together by, by the very word of his mouth. He, he's in control. There, there's no question of that. But the problem is people use that and they, they individualize that in the sense of they, they, maybe we could say they personalize that and say because God is seated and throned upon the highest heaven and everything beneath it, well, then he's over me. Who, who can rival God, right? Who can fight God? We say that about the lost world, right? Well, they're just, you know, God's seated and throned in a giant white robe with his flowing beard and stomping out the evil of the world and waiting to judge the, the, the bad people. They just don't know it, right? <laughs> well, that's not really very accurate. I mean, the, the reality is, yes, absolutely every single thing is under the authority and lordship of Yahweh, yes, but, you know, the, and I mean, let's even go this. I, I love this type of thinking. And I'm not going to go into sources and all this and that, but some books I read, I don't know, 10 years ago, went into these ancient texts talking about the luminaries, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of creation, the winds, the rains that all of these things properly respond to the eternal creator God in obedience. Like they, they do the will of their creator. When God set times and seasons, sun to set, moon to rise, tides, all these things, I mean, can we not just sit back in awe and realize that those things continue today in the same way that Creator God made them to because they are in perfect submission and obedience to their Creator? And then we see, of course, in Scripture, we see that hosts of heaven, supernatural angelic beings, rebelled. They embraced their own will. They took themselves out from underneath the rule and dominion of God, their creator. And then what? The apple of God's eye, mankind, does the same. Because the provision and worshiping and perfection of the one true God was in the garden. God was preeminent in the garden over humanity, albeit brief. But that was surrendered. That was undone. Adam and Eve chose to remove themselves from the singleness of worshiping God. They chose a hybrid worship reality. Well, God, you're awesome. Thank you for making us, by the way. We're perfect. Although perfect didn't even need to find because there was no opposite of perfect at the time. 
There just was. The completion of God, the perfection of God, the satisfaction of God was all there was. Until that moment and man turned and changed, believed the lie through deception, and thereby the duality of worship was instated on the earth. And I'm telling y'all, I'm not going to go there, but this is very important. This is an important fact that I believe the church has entirely missed in my generation. I've never heard of these things before in the way that I really hope that the Lord unfolds in greater measure. Because in the surrendering, in the duality of worship, of we're going to worship Yahweh God, creator of all things, and we're going to we're going to kind of worship ourselves. We're going to kind of deify ourselves, or at least attempt to, which of course we can't, which is why they were banned from the garden. They just weren't like, hey guys, it's time for you to go. All right, it was very extreme. They were banned. Okay, if we could imagine seraphim and cherubim, full of fire, swords ablaze with fire. Man, I'm telling you, whatever it is we envision is probably not very accurate. These are part of the hosts of heaven, y'all. Guarding the throne of God. Guarding the holy presence of God. I would assume if we could see one, we would be as many were in the scriptures where we would be kissing the ground before we could take our next breath. This is holy ground, son. But we just think, we think in some weird movie depiction of that where we just kind of look up, we put our hand on our forehead and we gaze up. Oh, there's, a, there's an angel flapping his wings and holding a beautiful shiny sword and he says, hey, don't come in here anymore. Closed. God said to tell you, don't, don't come here. Oh, okay. Man, y'all, I don't think we have any idea. I think it's a fierce, flaming, righteous being executing the awe of God. There's no wondering, oh, hey, can I get back in there? Uh Uh-uh. No way, no how. I'm not even looking at that guy. Right? Why? There's going to be one God. That's, That's the whole purpose. It's to return. And nobody's getting in there until that reality comes. That is the sanctification life. Is us endeavoring to not bow our knee any longer to the lesser gods. Whether it's the gods of our belly, the gods of our accomplishments, the gods of our strengths, even in a Christian sense, or the gods of the powers of the air, 
that literally rule and reign and have dominion that we talked about months ago that man gave to them and until we reclaim that territory continues to be theirs. And so to fulfill the point that I was starting to make moments ago, God is not God of your life, brother, friend, until you make him so. He is not just God of your life because he's capital G God. It is not inherently your, I don't know, privilege that God rules and reigns over your life until you surrender it to him. That's why salvation is so much more than it's been made into. We're not talking about just deciding to invite Jesus into a nasty heart that he cannot indwell. We're talking about saying, no, to every other thing, every other deified thing in my life. There will be no God above you. I will spend the rest of my life in the pattern of Jesus the Christ who laid himself low, rode on a donkey, was beaten and spit on and stripped down, and spent his lifetime of suffering, not just a few days, weeks, or month of the end of his life. His suffering was not just limited to hanging on a tree. His life was suffering. Why? Because he suffered. And what did he suffer for? He suffered so that he might learn. He learned through the suffering. He learned obedience. He learned the surrendered will. And again, and again, and again, and again, he denied himself. He denied himself the pleasure of hybrid worship. The temporal, natural pleasure of hybrid worship. He knew, and then thereby by decision, by will, the power of the surrendered will, Jesus said, no, I won't bow to those things. Why? Because his vision was set from the heavenly perspective. Not because he was deity, not because he was supernaturally empowered, but because he chose the power of the will. He chose to walk according to the spirit, the eternal unseen things that had nothing to do with his belly or with his position, or with his status, or with his reputation. He spoke what he heard the Father speak. He did what he saw the Father do, and everything else? No. Disinterested. The devil has nothing in me, he said. Why did he have nothing in him? Why did the ruler of the prince of the power of the air have nothing in Jesus? No foothold, no 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 place to grasp. 
No plurality of worship. No hybrid worship in there. He was a clean temple. The cleanest temple. The only clean temple to ever embody flesh and blood. And you know what? Because he has invited us, what? Into. Eat of my flesh, y'all. Partake of me. Be found in me. I'm what? I'm the gate. I'm the way. I'm the only way. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? All these things. Why? What in the world do these little cliche things that we've made them mean? I feel right now I could talk for four hours. There was nothing in him. So he was single-minded. He was set. There's one engine, if you will, fueling my life, and there will be no other. This is my beloved son. This is the son in whom I'm well pleased, the father said. Why? There's no division in him. His heart is set on me and my ways. He is keeping perfectly the command to have no other gods before me. And you know what? Because he's the way, and because he said, I have carved out a way, get in this way. For anyone who will come via him, the door, the mediator between God and man, any man who will be found in him and thereby follow his pattern, not of just doing social justice. We're so fascinated with undoing the wrongs and evils of this world, we're not in the pattern of Jesus. We want the fruit of Jesus without following his patterns. We want to walk through the temple and undo everything that's wrong in it, or we want to judge the world with authority, but we won't ride the donkey. We want to do it from the top of the tower in the main room in the Tower of Babel. And guess what, y'all? That work stopped. That work was frustrated by the hand of Yahweh. And I've got to believe, I'm fully convinced that nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And I'm almost at my destination, for, so for the sake of time, what are we building? What are we exalting in our lives? If we really are called according to the name of Christ and our identity is in Him and should be so in greater measure, what is it we have in our other hand? And if we don't know or if we think there's nothing, may we get before the Lord and ask.
Because I believe the rest of my days will be spent doing what I'm doing this morning, which is, God, show me. I'm full of idols. I'm full of rebellion. In myself, I could turn in a moment. I can, brother. And if you think you can't, I'm telling you, I think it's a dangerous place. Because the only thing that keeps me is the resolute mindset of, to the best of my ability, God, I'm keeping my focus on you. My gaze is locked on. But please, God, help me. Help me, please. I think of that scripture where it talks about prayer and I don't want to get into all that. I'm going to, I'll go down a whole other trail. But the response of that is that, that we would have more of His Spirit. Not just what we want, but more of His Spirit. Ask anything in my name. You know, like, we, if we're going to be praying for more of anything, it needs to be more of His Spirit working in our lives to eradicate all that remains in me that opposes the preeminent rulership of the one true God over my life. And so may we do that today. May we do it tomorrow and every day from here until we breathe our last. May that be what we do is we continually give ourselves to this reality. No more hybrid worship. No more double-mindedness. No more some of God and some of this. He wants a set-apart people. What he wanted in Israel is what he wants today. I want to create a people, and you know what? I'm going to, but there's one way in. If you're not the seed of my son... If you're not his offspring, you're not getting in. You are on the outside, period. And we need to face that reality and be absolutely sure we are on the inside of his favor and his deliverance and his safety and his provision and his life that he is longing to give to any who would receive it. Amen.